episode 41 of the Insecurity Show. This week's episode, Handsomeware. We'll discuss ransomware. That's all. <laughs> Visit our website at in-security.org for feedback to leave comments and more. You can follow us on Twitter at Insecurity Show. Send us email to feedback at in-security.org. Which works now! Yay! Yeah. My name is Matt. And my name is Max. Hey, buddy. How you doing this week? Hey. I'm... Um, I don't know. I have allergies. Allergies? Yeah, what are you allergic to? Spring, summer, and fall? Oh, man, that's the worst. Yeah. How are you? I'm doing great. I feel like it hasn't been that long since we've talked, but I feel like it's been a really long time since we've shared our private conversations with the world. Oh, yeah. We have a lot of secrets. We and do. We have some uh, too, too many secrets. So I guess if you're hearing this, it's your... Uh, semi-annual insecurity podcast show sorry about that oh, yeah good life got busy oh so happy happy new year happy new year happy happy 2016 uh, to all of our uh, listeners. happy easter happy may 2-4 weekend which we just had that catches us up and during my downtime for Victoria Day weekend. So I got a note from a uh, Gurpreet Singh on Twitter saying at insecurity show are you going to make any more podcasts? So I hope hopefully the reason why he asked that is because he wanted us to. But I assumed that and I replied, yes, sir, for you, we will. So on the whim of one person, Gurpreet, this one's going out to you. Um, I had some follow up on the last episode that I wanted to bring out. Uh, this was just a little news article that came out. Forbes went ahead and asked their users to turn off ad block, which is what our last episode was about. Right. And then after that, they immediately served up a pop under ad with the drive by downloader of the angler exploit kit. So I wanted to share that because it works as a perfect counterpoint to everything we talked about last episode. Yeah, that's uh, that that'll happen. Actually, an exploit kit is something we will also be talking a little bit more about today as a tease. Yeah, I had, I had something else in here about other people serving up all sorts of terrible ads. Ad blocking and ad delivered malware and paywalls and all that stuff has become pretty topical as of the past six months, I think, since we've last recorded. <laughs> Perfect. So we're trendsetters. Uh, we're trend latcher honors. I will give you that much. We latched on and then the trend happened. That's not, it's not how. It yeah. Works. It was already starting to trend. Yes. Whatever. I did have yes. some, uh, some fun and interesting news for you. Oh, please share. I don't know if you've heard of Google play music. Yes, I have. But our podcast is now available to listeners through Google play music. In at least the U.S. and Canada. Yeah, in at least the U.S. and Canada and potentially wherever else they've started rolling out their podcast uh, inclusions, I guess. Our show is available there, which is pretty exciting and awesome. I also had another more of an announcement or a project I want to try and undertake. What's that? My intention, and this might be a little bit ambitious, is I want to try and get some companion videos out for um, our episodes. Right. So for instance, for the last episode, we talked a lot about adding and setting up ad blockers on your browser. So I wanted to do a companion video on YouTube that will basically demonstrate how you can go about doing that. Uh, they will they will be super basic and super simple, at least while I figure out what I'm doing. And so far we have one up there. We have? 
Yeah, we do. And it covers Adblock Plus for Firefox. So the next step would be Adblock Plus for Chrome, and then potentially after that, other ad blockers and maybe other browsers uh, with a little bit of information about all of them. That's super cool. Yeah, if you feel like that's something that's uh, beneficial, then by all means, let us know in you know uh, comments, email, feedback, Twitter, wherever you choose to reach out to us. Hey, I got a question. Yeah, go ahead, please. You in the front row with the allergies. Can we abuse this ability of yours and your generosity and force our folks to go and do things? How so? Well, so, geez, I don't remember what episode it was. I should probably look that up. But a while ago, we talked about entry-level jobs into the, the field. One of them was a pen tester. Oh, yeah. And there's a lot of actual kits that you can go and download and run your own purposely vulnerable web server and then you can compromise that web server based on very popular attack patterns so i was thinking maybe we could actually leverage this to maybe show people how to set up one of these purposefully vulnerable web servers and then give people homework to do where they go and they do a task we assign homework and say for instance show how to do a sql injection command attack against a web server using this tool and then we'll give our interpretation of the answer to that through this video would that work that sounds like a great idea cool all right so here's the homework then right away is and we'll repeat at the end but if people would go to search up iron geek he does a whole bunch of webcasts of security conferences but if you do a search for something called mutiliday You're just going to throw that out there as if it's a common word. M-U-T-I-L-L-I-D-A-E. It's a purposely vulnerable application. So you can actually download that. You give some instructions there as to how to load it on your machine using the native virtualization available on Windows systems called XAMPP. We'll throw a link up to that in the show notes because it's kind of unpronounceable. Yeah, and uh, people can try loading that up and yeah like i said first assignment why don't we uh why don't we get people to go and do the sql injection there that sounds like a great idea so with that being said and something that's been killing the news recently is this extortion racket of using other people's computers called ransomware and i don't know if you've experienced anybody or you know anybody who's experienced ransomware Personally, I've had my mom's computer succumb to ransomware, but two years ago, and then I've had uh, a college friend of mine also submit to ransomware maybe six months ago. So, you know, these are near and dear to my heart. And I know that it's rampant everywhere out in the Internet, people being succumbing to ransomware. I've been uh, ransomware is just taking the headlines these days. I've heard other security podcasters say that it's not so much. If you'll get hit by ransomware, it's more a a state of when you'll get hit by ransomware. Right. Which I think is a little bit extreme, but it doesn't mean that the precautions necessary to protect you against ransomware aren't needed by everybody. Just in the off chance that it happens to you. So I I certainly know a couple of people have been hit by it. I've seen the attempts against my organization that I work for where we're actually doing a decent job of blocking it. Have you, do you know anybody who's suffered ransomware? Do I? Let me tell you a tale worthy of that segue. So my sister's office was recently attacked or fell victim to a crypto wall variant. The story goes as such. One of the computers in the accounting department was compromised. And then as a result, 
it started deploying to the shared drive that they had on the network and the shared drive started getting its files encrypted. It was at this point that it was noticed. It was caught because somebody tried to access one of the shared files, which was encrypted. The shared file server wasn't actually infected. It was the main computer that had been compromised initially that was actually doing the encrypting itself. So a knee-jerk reaction, what they ended up doing was just disconnecting all of the computers from the network, and then that stopped them from being encrypted further. Fortunately, they had most of the shared drive backed up. Uh, They ended up losing a couple of hours of work, but by reinstating the backups, it was mitigated a little bit, and they were able to disinfect the actual computer that had been compromised initially. At least such is my understanding of the story as it was told to me. Typically, ransomware, the end user experienced ransomware, is that they get a pop-up on their screen saying, your files have been encrypted, you have to send money, basically, to the extortion people to be able to gain access to your files. And there's a whole bunch of different ways of displaying this message. It could be that... uh, you know, we found child porn on your system and you need to pay us money or or it could be these messages saying that, you know, we found something nasty on your system and you need to pay money to be able to have us overlook this one case or, you know, this typical extortion bracket. But typically it's that we've encrypted your desktop and all of your sensitive files have been encrypted and it typically looks for you know, picture files, Word document files, tax return files, all of these things that you might care about if you're uh, an organization or a person, uh, you keep your personal information on your computer and it encrypts them. And it says, so some of them actually even offer up to, we'll decrypt a file for you to prove that we have the ability to decrypt a file but then you're going to have to send us money to decrypt your entire machine. And they, they don't even say that like they're the ones that did it. They're kind of like, we'll help you through this process. So there's maybe a little bit of psychological manipulation that happens there. We've discovered that this has happened to you and we feel really bad. Yes. And we will help you for a Bitcoin. And a Bitcoin is an alternative currency that's kind of untraceable. So, you know, this veil of anonymity throughout everything that helps them not get caught essentially so they've they've infected your machine and they've given you this message and that's the end user experience now there's two paths we can go one is describe what ransomware actually does or we can give a little bit of history about how systems get exploited and that ransomware gets delivered there in the first place which path do you want to choose? This is a choose your own adventure podcast. It is. So we're going to, we're just going to sit here and wait until someone tweets which direction they want to go. <laughs> no, 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 Matt. You're going to choose the path. Oh, rats. Okay. Um, I obviously am going to select B. B because I wasn't really listening. For any listeners playing the home version of the choose your own adventure podcast, jump to the 18 minute and 10 second mark. Okay. So how the system gets infected in the first place to deliver this. Oh, that's a good choice. So this is what I was teasing earlier is about an exploit kit. There are these things out there called exploit kits, and they are these balls of maliciousness that has every current known vulnerability within it. And it 
looks for a system to come across it, and then it just tries everything in its arsenal to exploit the system. So when we talk about something bad happening to a system, there's many different factors of it. First, there's a latent vulnerability. That vulnerability is either a person or a process or a piece of technology. So for instance, social engineering is the person is the vulnerability. They want to be helpful. They will click a link. They will disable their security controls to allow something to run. That's a potential vulnerability right there. An exploit kit is more looking at the technical components for software that's on somebody's system. So it'll look at the level of what type of browser somebody is using in the first place. So if it's Internet Explorer, are, is it a version of Internet Explorer that's weak to a, a bunch of vulnerabilities? If it is Internet Explorer and it's not weak to a bunch of vulnerabilities, then maybe do they have the Java plugin or Flash plugin? If it is a Java plugin or a Flash plugin, does that then have a vulnerability that can be exploited? So these exploit kits are these little balls of just absolute evil that are out there on the Internet waiting for someone to come across it. And that is the foot in the door. It finds a small problem, a vulnerability in a, in a system component. And then it uses that to then either, either or and or escalate privilege. So if you're talking about a normal user with a normal user context, it'll start trying to bring itself up to be a more powerful user that has more control over a system. And then it'll bring down its fellow friend bad applications, right? And those are called payloads. Those are the things that actually stay resident and do damage to a system. So although the exploit kit is very, very small into what actually triggers on your system, all it needs is one of its thousands of techniques to work on your system to then pull down more maliciousness. And the way that this works in the underground is that people sell their exploit kits. They lease out using the exploit kit in a way to download some other packages. So you'll get like, you know, three other people saying, well, I want to put ransomware on there. I want to put spying software on there so that I can control the person's webcam. And I want to put a piece of software on there that will steal all the information off of a system. They go, great. We've got three highest bidders here. We're going to package these things up for this version of the exploit kit. And we're going to distribute it where we will affect millions of computers. Right. So this is where we hit things like ad servers or web pages that have typos in it, which is typo squatting. Right. And they'll wait to deploy their malicious payloads to it. One of them might be ransomware, which is the topic of this show. So ransomware gets distributed to a system. It unpacks on the person's system. It's a custom, usually a customly packed executable, so it bypasses antivirus. Can I interrupt you without you getting derailed? Yes, please. Real quickly, I don't want us to gloss over something that we've never actually touched on before. So typo squatting, right? Okay. In a nutshell, it's nefarious people capitalizing on the human nature of making mistakes. So if, for instance, you go to visit a website like Microsoft.com and you accidentally type Mircosoft.com, 
then at that point, you're going to get to some kind of website. And this is someone who has purchased that domain name with a particular typo in it, specifically in hopes of getting traffic that they don't deserve, that people weren't actually trying to get to or look for. Right. It used to be in the back in the day when we were younger that people would just put advertisements on there to buy the domain or to, you know, enhance your male or female body parts. But nowadays they found more money in actually putting malicious payload on there. Well, that and ads. I mean, if you're just there for ad servers, they don't care um, as long as the ads get served up, right? Do you think they really still do that? I suspect so. I mean, if you if you're just getting by the impression not for people searching for you, but just every time you show an ad and that's being tracked, you might as well. Yeah, I just wonder if there's more money in organized crime doing this now rather than just somebody doing some advertisement to a person. Probably both. But anyway, because I thought that that was an interesting piece and I didn't want to just sure. gloss over it since we hadn't mentioned it yet. Okay, thanks. And then how do these things exploit the system? You know, very generally, I spoke a while ago about something that happened many years ago around fonts being rendered in a system and then exploiting that system because it happens in the kernel space. Right. They've just released more patches for that. That keeps happening. That is, you know, mind boggling to me that we're still doing. Microsoft has made a conscious decision in their architecture to still have the fonts render in the kernel space, which is the most powerful component of it. Like, why does this? Anyways, uh, get rant aside, I'm not going to get into that. But silly design choices lead to real material impact. And, you know, it's one thing to throw Microsoft on the bus because there's this huge conglomerate and they've been doing this for years and they probably should know better. But in everybody's day to day development, uh, you know, if you work in a corporation, you've got developers there developing code for you. Just know there's silly decisions being made there that have material impact on your security this is why we always preach security in depth. One tool, one fix is not enough. You need a layered defense. All right. So I'm off my soapbox. Does that mean the episode's over? And back to the, no, back to the topic at hand, which is ransomware. So modern day ransomware. This is the other path that you didn't go down, by the way, for, for you choose your own adventure. Modern day ransomware does things to systems. It encrypts system files and personal files that people will probably find important, that people will want to recover. Right. So in my sister's case, it was like a half day's work, a couple of files. In the case of my buddy, about six months ago, they got compromised by some ransomware. It was all of the photos of his child from birth until two years and there's not a thing that he could do about it. For all intents and purposes, his files were encrypted with a way that he didn't know if he would be able to recover those files. Dude, that's two years down the drain. He might as well just sell the kid and start over. <laughs> to him, he was really on the fence. Is it worth the one Bitcoin that they were extorting him for to recover this information? Everybody who succumbs to ransomware comes to this crossroad where they have to make the decision. Do I pay the extorter or do I dig in my heels and say, no, I won't accept to this kind of treatment of people? Terrorism, blackmail and extortion. Interestingly, the FBI a while ago was saying, if you want to recover the information, pay the extorter. They've recently done an about face where they say, well, I... You know, we should never succumb to terrorism, blah, blah, blah. But the reality, when it affects you personally or it affects your corporation that is living by this, is it's much more nuanced than that. Right? You really have to do some deep soul searching and discover if that's something you want to do. Also, ransomware 
in a modern form doesn't just affect one computer. It looks at everything that computer has access to. So if you're in a home office environment or, you know, a small office environment, most likely you have a a network attached storage device that actually houses your important files. Not unlike a network share drive. Right. And maybe they're replicated so that it's not if one system goes down, everything's screwed. You have something in another location where you can access a backup of that information if you need to or store it for delivery and that location might get backed up. So ransomware nowadays looks for these things and actually encrypts those. Anything that you can touch, it now has access to your privilege by infecting you. Through that, it goes and encrypts everything that you can touch. So if it's your Dropbox account, if it's your Google Drive, if it's your internal NAS storage, it'll go in and encrypt everything that it can do. There is a little bit of a trade-off here. As the hosting companies, as Google Drive and as as Dropbox get more sophisticated, they notice these things have happened and they'll actually alert somebody that it's happened. And, you know, it's typically not very effective at those cloud storages because they've got multiple tiers of backups available to them so that you can quickly restore. But either way, anything you can access, anything that looks like a file that you can touch out and reach, it will go and encrypt those. The more malicious, newer versions of this have started to ratchet up the pain that somebody experiences when they've succumbed to ransomware. Typically, it said you have a week to pay back at one Bitcoin. And if it's past that week, then guess what? It's now two Bitcoin. Typical extortion. You know, they want to ratchet up the pain on you. They give this sense of dread of, you know, I got to make a rash decision right now. So hopefully the person will just pay the extorter. Since we did explain what a Bitcoin is, I do want to just try and give a little bit of context. It's not as paltry as it sounds right now. Bitcoin is valued at, as of the date of this recording, $447 US. So one single Bitcoin is $450. Right. That's not just like fancy cheese money. That's like my brother-in-law, a night out on the town money. Right. And it's been hovering there for a while. So when somebody, the actual extorters are looking at ways that they can ratchet this up because it's so profitable to them because people do pay that decision that people have to make of whether I pay this or not. People are deciding at the end of the day, it's better for me as a company or it's better for me as an individual to pay this person and learn that lesson and then move on. The fact that people are paying I think encourages these extorters to do more rash things. And what they're doing now is they're actually saying, in some instances, pay me within a day or I'm going to start deleting some of your files. They delete 10% of your files randomly, right? Day after that, 20% of your files. Day after that, another 30% of what's left. Right? And they start ratcheting up this pain and panic in people. Crazy. Keep escalating to force their hand. So those are brutal. And then you've got the other side that they say that your files are encrypted. And they put up a splash screen that you can't navigate away from. But really, they haven't encrypted the files. They just haven't figured out that part of it. So you're dealing with shady characters. How shady and how skilled they are is really something that you want to determine quickly. There is a rash of open audible air quotes, iOS ransomware, close audible air quotes that had gone around. And it speaks volumes to the effectiveness of this threat that it's gotten to the point already where people see how much trouble 
this can cause and have started emulating it by faking it. So for the iOS version that was going around, if you navigated to a sketchy website or a website that served an ad, it would basically, the the best that they could do on the phone, or at least the best that I've seen in the wild, was simply put up a pop-up screen that you couldn't get away from. And it would say something to the effect of, uh, your phone has been picked up for doing these unsavory things and all of your data has been encrypted and the only way to get it back is to pay the money. Of course, all you had to do was simply close the Safari and potentially clear your cache and cookies. But yeah. it just speaks volumes to how effective this threat is and how much people will panic and how much ingrained fear it generates, how quickly that there's people emulating the threat. Yeah, certainly. Without, as you say, the the knowledge to to back up what they're saying they're doing. So I, I think to a degree, the FBI, when they stated that uh, maybe you should just pay the ransomware was really bad publicity mm-hmm. uh, and actually maybe spurred on some of these people saying, well, now that we've got the backing of the FBI to pay these people, which makes sense as to why FBI didn't about face onto that. So how do, how do we sort through this? How do we figure out if we're really affected? or not. One thing that is super useful is to be able to boot into a different operating system and see if you can access those files. That's right off the bat, really easy to do. Right. If you do find that you are affected by ransomware, there is different levels of ransomware uh, quality. So this is the interesting scenario for my buddy. He was affected by ransomware. He knew that his system was impacted and that the pictures of his child from birth to two years old, was encrypted. So he had the decision of what I can do about it. First off, the thing that's attacking him is math, right? In the encryption algorithm. His information is locked behind this mathematical algorithm that has changed the information from an accessible format to a mathematically scrambled format, encrypted. So he has a decision. Does he attack the math or does he pay the ransom Or does he find some other workaround for this? So first thing he did was uninstall everything that he could find out about it. It turns out that he was encrypted by a TeslaCrypt variant, TeslaCrypt 4, and then all of the file extensions that were encrypted were VVVV. And then there was a corresponding, you know, splash page on his desktop saying to decrypt these files, send the Bitcoin to such and such account and If you want to prove it, here's a decryption that you can perform yourself on such a file just so we can prove it. And this is all hidden behind Tor Hidden Services. So you can't actually find out who actually did the bad stuff. And you can't punch math in the face. Anytime somebody's going to extort you, they're going to try to find a way to anonymize themselves as much as possible, uh, but still be able to accept the money. And with computers and the internet, it's pretty easy to do that now. So first thing he did is uninstalled the malware and reboot his system and try to scrub out every component that was bad for it. Modern day Windows operating systems shadow files uh, and, and you can actually configure this to happen so that as you write a file to your hard drive, it creates a separate backup file just in case you need to roll back a version. So he was able to find some shadowed files that had not yet been encrypted by this and recover the content through there. Another way that you can do it is whenever you write something to a hard drive, and when you delete something from a hard drive, it's not actually gone. The bits that are occupying the hard drive space still remain there. So 
you can actually run these recovery tools. So if you accidentally delete a file from your hard drive, you can actually recover some of the content off of that. And the whole point of these bad guys encrypting the content is what they do is they take the file, they run it through this mathematical algorithm, they create a secondary file, and then they delete the first one. So what you can do is you can run this piece of software that actually recovers the content of those files. And there's a bunch of them that are available. Most of them are free. You don't need to buy somebody's software that they're hucking for this. So I've actually used some of these freeware products before that recover information, especially images off of hard drives for some of my wife's work that got accidentally deleted, wasn't ransomware, but that's still that technique is portable to this because that's how ransomware works is it encrypts and it deletes. And if you have something that looks through the deleted files on your hard drive, it's really slow, but it can maybe recreate some of those. So those are two available quick techniques. And then there's your network drives, which could have been pooched too. So you could potentially mount it and then go through the process of trying to recover it the same way, but it's probably a lost cause. So my buddy, even though he recovered a bunch of files this way, he was still left in this conundrum. What is he going to do? And he got really lucky. The reason he got lucky is because the people that were implementing the cryptography that was messing up the data had a very simplistic key that could be reduced. So if you remember from our previous talks on cryptography, which is like episode 20 or 21, maybe both of those, asymmetric key cryptography uses two prime numbers that combined make another number so that you can have an encryption and a decryption that's reversible the other way around. Their prime numbers that made up this was reducible through modern day mathematic parsing of numbers through something called MSIV or MSIV. And the mathematical geniuses that are working on reducing complexity for things such as reducing storage space by deduplication and stuff like that. They've actually figured this out and made a product that's available. So my my buddy ran this for like a week, even though he was past his ex- first extortion repayment of one Bitcoin and was into the second Bitcoin, he knew that there was this flaw available. So he ran this math program, which spat out what the master decryption key is and he was able to use that to decrypt all of the files on his hard drive and all of the files on his network attached storage drive nice right so this is interesting because there's a bunch of different ways that these different versions of ransomware are acting and some do some stuff to the windows registry so the, there's a lot of different telltale signs that you're, you're being encrypted and that you're, you're being impacted by this. There's lots of little tricks that you could pull out of the, out of the magic hat and say, okay, we're going to stop encryption by ensuring that this registry key is set or that these file settings are the way that they are. But at the end of the day, there's so much money in this to the extorters that they will pivot around these techniques. Right. So the real solution to this, and it's a super big pain to, you know, small, medium sized businesses is to back up the files in a way that's not accessible or to use, you know, I suppose a a less good way. But also another possibility is to use a cloud service that 
will keep multiple copies that you can roll back to as soon as you discover. So I'd say having an offline copy of the information in, in what we call a backup, that would be really good, <laughs> right? Burn it to a CD, keep it in a fire safe so that if your business burns down to the ground, you still have your customer records available to you. Well, see, this is how my sister's company was able to recover all their data because they just print out a copy of everything they do. No, I'm kidding. That's not actually true. <laughs> just like, well, this this is a good JPEG. I'm just going to print this to send to the kids. So here's where it gets scary, right? You don't want your customer information in a separate location in a way that's readily accessible. If somebody, you know, cracks, cracks, steals your safe and brings it home and cracks it, right? Offline local backups. Offline local backups are good, but what if somebody steals that backed up drive, right? You don't want it to be in clear text. You want to also do your best to protect that information at rest. So you'll want to encrypt that as well with something that you'll know that you can go back to, to recover. We're getting into that password passphrase thing again. You can't people. double stamp a triple stamp. You can't double stamp yeah. a triple stamp. Well, unfortunately, maybe you can. Mm. So that is the that is the absolute best thing that you can do is keep a uh, offline version of that information in an encrypted format so that somebody just stumbling up across it can't actually get the information itself, but it can't be encrypted by a third party. And it's pretty cheap. If we talk about like Blu-ray drive burners and then actually the information that you need to back up rather than everything that an operating system has. Right. It's probably pretty doable. Now, I just wanted to mention, as you were talking about some of the more advanced ones, there was an article I read about one called SAMHSA. It sits hidden on the machine while assessing the network and looking for network storage for backups and determining the network structure itself. It can also encrypt any of the backups first and then will delete things like Windows snaps and Windows backups and potentially shadow files if it can encrypt any of those. Right. And then once it's done that, it will execute on all the network machines simultaneously. Yeah. So once it's made sure that it's gone and messed up all of your backup chances, it's only then that it deploys on your actual network so that your users might notice that their files aren't working. Like that's pretty nefarious. This is one of those things where there's two animals and they keep like surpassing themselves. And you know what I'm saying? There's like uh, one animal with whiskers and another animal with whiskers. Tortoise and the hairy tortoise, the hair and the, This is the typical cat and mouse thing that we keep talking about. Oh, yeah. I was wondering. I was just going to take a nap while they caught up. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, you come up with a defense. There's sufficient motivation for the bad guy to do something new in that space. So they'll do that extra work effort because the payoff is just so much better. Right. Right. As long as the motivation is for the bad guy to do bad stuff and the victims to pay the bad guys to do stuff. And it's not too big of a tax. It's unsustainable that the people just shut down. This is the sweet spot that the bad guys love to live in. And this is immediately rewarding to them as well. Right. So they're willing to spend a little bit extra money into research and development to keep their bad stuff going and find those pressure points on people that make them pay so much faster and so much better. And even so far, like the I'll decrypt a file for you. 
know, for free the first time is this olive branch that's being put out there and saying, like, I'm your savior. I will help you through this rough period of time that I kind of also inflicted on you. Right. Also, you're welcome. Yeah, absolutely. They keep tweaking it. Uh, We keep coming up with fixes for it. But the major fix overall is to take the time that it needs to back up the stuff, archive it, store it somewhere that's not going to not going to be destroyed. And it's comes down to a lot of the same IT 101 good hygiene stuff that we all should be doing. But it's really time consuming. It's really hard to do. Yeah, absolutely. So the the basic protection things, um, obviously, number one and the best one of all of them is my favorite to keep bringing up because I know it'll set you off, you know, educate your users. <laughs> so I'm, I'm jaded on that first one. <laughs> yeah, there will always be somebody that clicks on a link. There will always be somebody that succumbs to social engineering. Educating your users is great. Having the systems in place to quickly respond and recover from when things go wrong is probably better and will serve you more in the long run at a cheaper price. Right. You know, this is what I was saying at the beginning. There is no one fix for everything. You have to have defense in depth. The bigger the corporation you are, you know, this is where the big the the tools that you have you got to start monitoring that those tools are responding the way you want them to respond. You only have enterprise backup solutions in enterprises. The mom and pop shops, the small and medium businesses, they really have to fend for themselves against this stuff. Hospitals have been compromised. Many, many hospitals have been compromised against this. Once they find that they've infected a juicy target, you know, those smart malwares, the new modern ones that actually sit back and watch what's happening before they actually do their badness, right? They'll report back and they say, this is what we're seeing. And those people can make informed decisions of this data is worth more than one Bitcoin. This data is worth 12 Bitcoins, right? And now we're getting on the the scale of this is a lot of money. This is really like for a small and medium sized business, 500 bucks is just spillage, right? But we're talking about like thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, that's not that's not tenable. You you just can't live with that much money being extorted out of you with the knowledge that this doesn't have to be a one-time incident, right? So these these larger companies that are being extorted by these greater bad guys that have the patience to really sit and wait and let these things boil up to be a big problem for them. Right. A couple of points on that though. Making hay. There was the even in the even in their threats, it just says, you know, if you pay this money, we'll unencrypt your files. And it says absolutely nothing about, you know, removing their malicious software. That's true. That's a good point that I, I kind of skimmed over. You're relying on the integrity of a bad guy to do something for you. Someone who has already put you into this situation and then you're trusting them by giving them money. Like there are instances where paying does nothing. Oh, I'm sure. You just pay sure. money and then they're done with you. They don't contact you again. In any way, not even to decrypt your files. Right. There's instances where your files aren't even encrypted and then they show the message and they hope that they've received enough notoriety through this. And there's people actually preying upon the good name that other good in quotes name that other bad guys have created for themselves saying, oh, yeah, no, we're part of this bad group, too. 
the one that's super serious and super legit about it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, pay us money because we're them. And meanwhile, they've got none, none of the background behind it. None of the impressive skill behind it. They're just hopping on the coattails of that other name. Right. Like I said before, they're either putting up a splash screen or they're potentially, you know, doing something like changing the file extension to .txt. So if right. you change it back to .jpg, then it works again and you can see your pictures of your kids. But when you open it, if you're an uninformed user and you open a picture file that has had the file extension changed to .txt, it looks like it could be encrypted for all you know. It's just a whole bunch of weird gibberish symbols. Yeah, that, that's a very good point. Also, the second thing that I wanted to bring up really quick before we go we go on is you did mention the hospitals and there was a hospital where it came to them paying 17 grand. Uh, they Crazy. had when they realized that they were unable to help any of the people that they had in the hospital at that time, they had no choice. And this is exactly what I mean. Like this is a bridge everybody individually has to cross and it's different thresholds of, of pain and risk for other people. There's other hospitals that actually just wiped the computers away and they said, screw it. We'll restart again. And maybe that's dependent on patient conditions and maybe it's not. I don't know. Everybody's scenario is different. This is why I don't like to prejudge people because you know, I'm not in everybody's shoes. Right. That being said, the quality that people are putting out is is very different. There's one called the Petsia ransomware, and <laughs> this is this is super shady. The um, they took uh, okay. So as I was saying before, people they keep adapting, they keep changing, and there's something that enterprise class systems put in if they're good at enterprise class protection. And that is application control where where something that is basically not blessed to run in the organization can't run. But people find their way around this by putting in things like PowerShell scripts and, and VB scripts that are supposed to run in JavaScripts and whatever, right? So things that are normal in, to run in the organization, they couch themselves in this. So this one Petsia ransomware that uses JavaScript to actually do its encryption. I believe it's JavaScript. It's either JavaScript or PowerShell that they use to encrypt the person's component used a library that they downloaded off of the internet. And they had no idea that this library that they used and downloaded off of the internet also contained a backdoor in the cryptographic function, which means, guess what? I can just reverse everything that you did with a simple key. And so... The person who coded this JavaScript or PowerShell script thing, I can't remember, said, hey, we found out it's being used by this Petsia ransomware. Here's the key. Here's the master key that decrypts everything. And if it weren't for these people, these bad guys using it, no one would have known that this code contained a cryptographic backdoor in it that allows somebody to undo the encryption of everything being used by it. So in one side, hey, look at this guy who wrote this cryptographic library who can now decrypt everybody's computer. Yay! On the other side, what the somebody wrote a cryptographic algorithm for people to use that he could then spy on everything written through this algorithm. In all of the stuff that we've been talking about with like government spying on people, right? And your information being retrievable. That's some super shady stuff right there. On the other side, saved us. I don't know where to come down on this. 
We had another really similar story. There's an article I think that you put in the register which says a software developer whose example encryption code was used by a strain of ransomware has released the description the decryption keys for the malware. Basically, the ransomware's creator based their primordial malware on EDA2, a toolkit of file encrypting sample code that demonstrates how ransomware works. So someone had made a toolkit for people to use and learn to figure out how ransomware worked. And some kid went online, followed the tutorial, made the ransomware out of it, and then deployed it. And the creator said, the EDA2 author intentionally left a backdoor in his code and had little hesitation in revealing it to undo the newbie malware slingers security blogger david bisson reports interesting that the context was all about showing what how ransomware works though this is what it is this is how it works okay i'm gonna follow the tutorial i'm gonna make it and then i'm gonna deploy it (laughs) so yeah i mean there's a bunch of different things for ransomware that uh impact people's systems one utility that is very interesting to me kaspersky actually puts out uh, a list we'll put in the show notes of ransomware that they know how to decrypt where would they found that? the master key for you could find that on the in-security.org show notes page really show notes page in-security.org slash ep041 this kaspersky report shows a bunch of information as to who you can download and reverse the uh, encryption algorithms from so they've got a bunch of them. Locky one is the one we just talked about, which is super obvious because the guy came forward with the information. What I find very interesting is that uh, my buddy who succumbed to Tesla Crypt, the people who did the MSIV program that was able to reduce the, the key pair to something that's processable by his machine, they were told by Kaspersky to not tell anybody how to do it themselves, which is, you know, whole other interesting conversation to have as to why this company that sells anti-malware products doesn't want somebody to publish the details and yet later they come out with their own way of doing stuff and i don't even know that it captured this tesla clip crypt version four of the software so my personal moral compass says that if you can dream it you can do it Build it, they will come. If you can help people not get compromised by a product, it's better to to release that information now and make the bad guys iterate than make these people pay the bad guys where they can afford to iterate later. It's just my personal view on this. Soapbox. So yeah, I think we're at the end of our show. We've talked about how the bad things happen, what the bad things are, how to protect yourself from the bad things happening to you. Worst case scenario, how to deal with the bad things happening to you. Anything else to talk about? Let me see if I had anything else in my talking points. I just had one note here. For those of you still playing the home version of the Choose Your Own Adventure podcast, um, now skip back to zero and listen to the whole thing. That was all I had. All right. Well, I don't know. How how do you feel about this? I had fun. What about you? Oh, I feel like we should do it again sometime. That's a novel idea. Yeah. All right. Let's do that. Let's do that. Over the next indefinite amount of time, (laughs) I want you to have yourself a great period of time. And you have yourself a great period of time. Thanks. Thanks.